0: His dad seemed more impressed than he did, but nevertheless, Conor Benn marches on, and he's now a real prospect for a Great Britain. This is after the bell. Mirror Fightings boxing show in association with Betfair.
1: David It's the WBA heavyweight champion of the world. like a
2: butterfly, thing like a bee. The Mirror brings you after the bell in association with Betfair. Hello
0: and welcome to this week's show. Our usual lineup of guests, myself, Martin Dorman, George Groves, and Declan Taylor. Plenty to pack in this week. We'll start with a look back at Conor Benn's win over Sebastian Formella. Very one sided in the end as the young man continues to progress. We'll take a look, quick look at two very quick heavyweight fights as Alan Babich and Fabio Wardley continue their unbeaten runs. Then we'll look ahead to a real heavyweight fight as Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce clash this weekend in a fight with real consequences in the division one will go on probably to heavyweight world title honours and the other back to the drawing board we'll take a look very briefly at Mike Tyson's return against Roy Jones Jr question whether it should be happening what we really want to see from the spectacle and then finally we'll reflect on the news that Canelo Alvarez will take on Callum Smith just six days before Christmas but first Conor Ben. Gents, it was billed as a relative 50 50 fight beforehand. In the end, Connor made it look quite comfortable. George, were you impressed with what you've seen given he's had a year to sort of work in the gym and just improve rather than rather improving the gym rather than improving the ring?
2: Yeah, no, I was very impressed with Connor Ben. I thought that was his best performance yet. I saw a lot of improvements, stuff I hadn't seen before and then you're looking up his box record it's been a year since he's been in the ring so um he is a diligent pro i know i know that i know that he's he um he tries to leave no stone unturned he he wants to better himself he's happy to listen to the people around him and try and, and try and learn and improve as a fighter um and now i think he's at that stage now where you can't really be talking about him as um you know uh, uh an inexperienced prospect, you know, he's, um, he's got, I think he's 17 and 0 now um, as, and he's got to be way on his way now to be pushing for huge domestic um, fights up to championship level. That was the only shocking thing that I realised was that he still, um, well, that was a 10 rounder last night. And I think it would have been good for him to have scheduled for a 12 rounder. And even if he hadn't got rid of um, um, for- that he uh he would have got that twelve rounds under his belt. So That's another thing to bank in the locker and know that you could do the full twelve rounds. What he does very well, um, is he starts from the get go and straight away all his opponents know they're they're in a fight from the get go. There's no real easing into the into the, easing into a fight. And he's not necessarily reckless with it. You know, this is um Part comparison to his dad, which I don't want to do because everyone else jumps on that. And his dad was all action from the very beginning. But sometimes, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, uh, there'll be an uneducated uh, risk element that was being part of uh, Nigel Benn's fights back in the day where he would just dive in and uh, you know he's got off the floor in the first round to win fights. He's got caught and buzzed in the first round to, and gone on to win fights. But Conor, he starts fast. His mind is definitely switched on. So whatever he's doing in the changing room beforehand is perfect because, you know, that first bell goes and he's on, he's on the attack and he's he's um he's stalking and he's landing big shots. He has I listed down some some things that I thought we had and that, that could compete, you know, at world level. And um, his head movement is is brilliant. His feet have improved a lot. So with the tiny adjustments that he makes, um, not so much with the attack because he's always had that, but now with his defensive movements. His speed and power is good. Um, His punch variety is brilliant. His mindset is brilliant. Um, And his jab now is starting to have an authority to it, where I remember speaking to him, must be a couple of years ago now, and talking about, you know, working on his jab because... um, you know, you can't always start a combination with a lead left hook or, you know, um, just, a, just a power shot. Even though the jab, his jab last night was solid, it was hard, it was fast, it was varied, um, it was a stunning shot to the chest for Femela. It keeps him, you know, stuck in his tracks. And then he'd put, change it upstairs, be knocking his head back. And the guy has always got to then constantly readjust and um, find his feet when he's getting knocked off balance with the jab. And it's a safe shot. From then, he would throw the, the arky right hand a lot, but every now and again would change it up with a fast one too, and then that would come sh- straight to the target, straight through the guard, and knock the fella's head back. So lots and lots of um, great stuff from, from Conor Ben last night. Um, the only thing I feel like he's got to work on now is he's got all these attributes. It's just knowing when to use them at the right time. So, you know, he can, he can linger in range with a with sharp head movement, but a lot of times he was getting caught with not necessarily big shots but um, shots that would just knock him off balance he have to go back and reset and go again um, at a higher level you don 't want to be giving away them shots because them shots you only need the top level guys who've only got to touch you once and they know where you are, and the next shot's going to be followed up with a, a heavy power shot so that 's the, the next the next um, thing for him to work on. Um, but the fight that he spoke about straight away after was the Josh Kelly fight. And i got to be honest, I think he beats Josh Kelly. Like I thought that um, a year ago, um, I thought Josh Kelly's not making the improvements that um, we anticipated he would do. Um, and I think Ben is now um, matured. Um, he treats, he treats it like he goes into camp for these fights and he has a, a big team and they're not a big team of hangers on as well. You know, he, He's got a big team because he feels that this is the way that he can harness every advantage possible. So whether it be in his nutrition, his strength and conditioning, he's you know obviously he's working with Tony Sims and he's surrounded by lots of good fighters out of that gym who are bouncing off each other and they're having success now there and he's obviously getting great sparring. So um, I think he's enjoying his boxing. He even though he's still got that menace and that that malice and that that urge to fight. Mentality—he's now a little bit more refined, so he's not as as reckless, and you haven't got to worry about him getting hurt or walking onto a shot or being uh, making making those silly mistakes. Um, Very good performance, very very good performance, and um, yeah, I was was, was very happy with him. I thought thought he'd done really well.
0: Declan, I can't remember who said it, but somebody on the broadcast said often we have these polished amateurs coming into the programme, and they've done. So much of their, their development, and they just sort of have to fine tune it and, and get used to the, the sort of paid ranks. With Conor Ben, we've really watched him learn on the job, and as a high-profile name, uh, you know, he hasn't sort of been on the bottom of undercards or, or whatever. We've had to, we've watched him under the lights all the way through, and really, his progression has been impressive.
1: Yeah, massively. He turned up from Australia, where I think he had something like twenty fights, so so they say. But you know, he said he himself he was boxing in a shed. And then he came over here as a total novice and look what he's come like look what he's become now. And I think he got a lot of stick actually because he was totally underdeveloped and he was obviously seen as this guy who got a lot of privilege because of his name. And he was I remember his debut was at the O2 and it was packed, it was late on a card, and you know, the dad was in there, they were all dancing together. I don't know if you remember that. Was a, and then he's had the acid tests, like he had the Cedric Payneo fight where he probably didn't you know he got lucky with the decision but he got dropped a couple of times so he had to come through that and he does he's done all of this under the microscope and i think it's made him a better fighter, a stronger fighter. he's done a lot of learning because as well he turned up as a young man and now i feel like he's grown grown mature just the way he talks about it and i think george hit the nail on the head he's a diligent pro and a lot of these guys would with this sort of um profile and exposure maybe wouldn't have the hard work at the heart of it um but I think that's what he's all about. And he's got Dan Lawrence, one of George's um, old strength and conditioning coaches. He looks so strong because he, he looked very young and small when he first started boxing because he was. Now he looks strong and fast and dangerous. Um, and also I think massive credit has to go to Tony Sims because he, he got him when he was totally raw and now look what he's turned into. And that gym... Um, you know, he's been, he was sparring a lot with O'Hara Davis when Davis was still there. You know, people like Martin J. Ward, John Wright obviously much bigger than him. But just having those guys around, he's learning and absorbing. And from what I can tell, he listens to everything that he hears. And the first thing he says when he gets out of the ring is, what was that? What could I do better? What You know, what was that like? He's, he's there's no arrogance. There's no edge. He just wants to fight and he wants to improve and he wants to be as best as he can be. And I think, I think people have fallen in love with him as well. Because, yeah, like I said, he was figure of fun, probably a bit bit much but he was seen as this uh sort of uh epitome of the matchroom kind of um i don't know maybe substance uh, or style over substance a big name and whatever what, whoever he is like let's, it doesn't even matter if he's good or not let's get him in big fights and to be fair he's in a 10 rounder at the top of a bill so it does tell you that maybe he's been pushed well he's clearly been pushed but And maybe his development would have been different if he wasn't called Conor Ben and he was just working away. But I think it's helped him, actually, because he's had to grow and improve under the microscope. And I think he's a really exciting fighter. And He's one of them where it's the day day after, and you're literally already thinking, I'd love to see him fight him. I'd love to see him fight him. And um, there's not many boxers who are like that these days. Um, And all I hope, because I don't know if you know this, but Sebastian Formella actually boxed Sean Porter once they didn't mention it they didn't mention it on sky but yeah he went in with sean porter you know the guy from america former world champion yeah he's good and formella like boxed him so all i'm worried about is if they because before this fight there was a, a board order the board ordered chris jenkins and conor ben purse bids and Matchroom stepped away from it as far as we could tell and they went for formella instead of boxing chris jenkins for the british title which would have been a great fight and still would be a great fight so what's the strategy now that The idea of them now pushing him on, or not beat up, but pushing him in that way, where you get Sebastian Formellas and people like that, instead of Chris Congo, instead of Chris Jenkins, instead of Josh Kelly, that would be a travesty. Now, why not? Just like his dad did, why not now stick domestic, domestic as in British fighters, not domestic level, but stick with those guys. And why don't they get that division, which is hot, get them all boxing, get them all fighting, because they've got the platform. I think it would be an amazing time for that division, amazing time for British boxing. That is the plea. Because if he goes and boxes for WBA Intercontinentals every every six months, that would be a total travesty.
0: You're right. Absolutely right. And actually, looking at the WBA rankings, there are some less than stellar names. It's already, it happening yeah. already.
1: Like they could do that if they wanted. And people are still going to watch. Um, but let's yeah. hope they don't.
0: And you also mentioned that people are falling in love with him. I think he really, this was an opportunity, he was always going to be a, a big name on this card, but of course he should have been in behind White and Povetkin. So he really, I think, took the, the fact that he was the main event. Uh, seriously, he, you know, he had that interview where he sort of broke down a bit. I think that endeared him to a lot of people. And then he put on the, the performance. He did. George, you mentioned Josh Kelly. It, from what Eddie Heron said, the plan is, Josh Kelly fights David Avanishian end of January. And then they want to do Kelly Ben next summer with fans. So presumably Conor Ben has to fight somebody in the interim. And this has come back to what comes back to what Dex said. It's so easy to put him in with, yeah, to basically drop him down a level. But surely the key now is that he fights, as Dex said, somebody he preg- progresses again, basically.
2: Yeah, I think <clears throat> even in terms of. Um profile in terms of you know building his brand in the uk um fighting a chris congo or a chris jenkins might not necessarily do that much better than fighting you know as a a relatively unknown for a wba in the continental you know from someone they bring in from across the world who might have one good win on his record or you know gone the distance with an ex-world champion or something but in terms of um a fighter's own development um You need to come through them domestic clashes, you know, in the in in as you're rising through through the ranks because there is an element that's slightly different when you know it's the domestic. And you know, you might hear some British fans who you would usually be on your side batting for the other team because they have an affiliation with that fire or they might just be fond of that fire. Um, I think that'll be that'll be good for for Ben. Um, a Congo fight or a Jenkins fight even if even if it was back to back sort of that sort of f- pressure fight where it's domestic and then he comes through that um and if he does he fights um kelly if kelly comes through his fight so con obviously wants to be concentrating on himself he doesn't he's not in a position where he needs to um rely on someone else to to make to make a fight for him um, Kelly might come on stack and not win his fight in January you know um, i think he's in he's in a tough fight you know um, and he 's been a while i 'm not sure exactly when he last fought, but um, you know so that 's not a foregone conclusion, but you look at the 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 huge names you 've got at world you know the the champions you 've got um, what, this is a great time to sort of you know gain all your experience, fight in really good opposition. You know, and as you say, not a domestic level, but domestic opposition. So before you start thinking about fighting the Garcias or the Furmans or the Pacquiao's or anyone like that, um, because that'd be where you aspire to be. Colin Bent at twenty-four years of age, you know, that's where he wants to be, he wants to follow in other British fighters' footsteps to become world champion. So but he needs um the experience to get there. And I think he's starting to really believe in his ability now. Um He's got proof in the pudding with, with these with these wins, especially the win last night where people might have been telling him before, oh, this is a 50-50 fight, but he dominated it from the start. Um, it was it was easy work for him. He as I say, he, he is honest, he's a little bit too honest sometimes. And I think with two rounds to go, um Sims in the corner said, just go out and stop him now. Like to make that statement where Porter didn't, and he's sitting in the corner just chatting away. <laughs> you know, he's not he's not he's not um worried about gassing out, um, you know uh, using up all his breath in between rounds and he's telling his corner that this is easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, maybe he just forgets that the mics are there, we can hear, we can hear all that stuff so um but yeah, exciting times for, for Conor Ben and hopefully, I think you know domestic fights have to be made anyway because they're easier to make these days. Um, the fighters I'm sure will be up for it even if. They might have some reservations. There might be just that that public pressure that now is being um, forced upon them, where they don't want to sort of be deemed to, to people to think that they've chickened out of a fight. So, um, yeah, weight division in the UK could really really heat up next
0: year. You mentioned that you fancied Conor Ben to beat Josh Kelly. It feels like Conor Ben sort of continued in his rise, and uh, Josh Kelly's. Probably levelled off a little bit. He was he was very much the sort of maybe the best of that crop, but hasn't necessarily, you know, continued to improve. What? But you've said that you thought uh, Conor Benn would win that a year ago. What is it that you you see in him and in Josh Kelly that makes you think that?
2: Well, you know, I think um, so. Josh Josh Kelly, I see him box. Um, I was there for the fight when he boxed on the undercard of the. Uh, Joshua Ruiz um, won out in uh, New York and I can't remember if he got the win or a draw that night but I remember thinking you've lost that fight and he was very lucky Um, and talk about style over substance you know I I just there was lots of flamboyance um, to his to his boxing but I was like, this stuff going to work when you start going through the levels and a guy's going to see through it, you know? And, um, you know, you you talk about, you can be the the very best at that, you know, that style of fighting like a a Prince Nassim Hamid. And then you get to the the highest, highest level and someone like Barrera just beats you with textbook, um, you know, textbook boxing. And I thought the same might be with, with Kelly. And I I feel like a Conor Ben who fancies it and, and, Punches from all different angles. Um, as he comes out, there's no edging into a fight with him. He comes out with a sharp mind, and then he's applying the pressure on Kelly. Um, I think it could, you know, Kelly could, he could eat him up a little bit inside. Um, but you know, uh, Kelly Kelly's got a lot of talent. You know, he's got a lot of talent. And I don't know what he's been doing in the gym. I feel, I'm not sure exactly when he boxed last. So, but I know he had, um, he's had a few a few problems. He pulled out of a fight late notice. I think he had some weight issues. Um, that you know, if he hasn't made weight properly, that definitely will affect his performances. You know, from times when he will make the weight properly, um, training in the Adam Booth setup um, with um, you know they've had a few different fighters come in and out of the gym. Uh, I think I haven't followed it um, diligently, but you know there was times when he would be um, in the gym with um, some of the smaller guys. Because We've had some some bantamweights and they, you know Ryan Burnett and um, Conlon and that they'll be able to throw different sort of combinations than you can when you start going up through the, through the divisions. So you have to find a happy medium, um, especially if you're fighting in the workweight division. Um, and you know the highlight reel where he's throwing five, ten, fifteen left hooks in a row. Um, against guys standing still, you can do that on the heavy bag, but you can't do that. You wouldn't be able to get away with that with someone like Conor Ben, because he's going to be trying to slip, take an angle and punch back hard. And now that he can, um, he's starting to box behind the jab and he's got that, that lovely little drop back. just the two inches to just keep dropping back after his fire to keep changing the distance and let that guy walk onto it. Um, don't think Kelly punches hard enough to have that David Hay type style where it's, um, you know, he's gearing up, a big defensive movement that comes in for a big single shot, um, and he's losing his foot position underneath it. Weltweights, so you're gonna to have to throw combinations, um, and um, yeah, I think I think I've got to make Ben the favourite in that fight right now.
0: And of course, we can't overlook David Avenishian. So, so Josh Kelly may welcome a cropper before, and this fight never ever happens. But if we're to to assume that Kelly comes through that one, how do you see him and Ben playing out?
1: Well, I'll, I'll save the proper prediction till after that because I think that is his big... What is he? 10-0 with one draw, I believe he is. And that, David Avanissian at this stage, is a mad risk. And he's pulled out that fight's fallen through a couple of times. I know Neil Marsh, who manager over here, has had a lot to say about that. They're convinced, convinced that he beats Kelly. Obviously, they would be. But that is a real dangerous fight. So if, if Josh Kelly can win that fight, a proper hard... Avanissian Russian skilled got everything in the locker if he can win that fight then that for me will say that he's ready for someone like Connie but and it sounds crazy to say that because for me Josh Kelly was the most exciting of those GB boys that turned over at that point mercurial talent got it all got the, the feet and the flashy style looks great but like you say as Connor Ben has gone like this Josh Kelly seems to have just gone like this and it's not through any fault of his own as far as I can tell he's had injuries There was an illness before one of the Amnesian fights. Obviously, the Ray Robinson night didn't go his way. But I think that he's so talented, I feel like he's going to be one of those ones where when he he really steps up, that's when he's going to produce his best. Um, I feel that. Because I remember, I think he boxed Carlos Molina and it was on one of the Joshua cards in a stadium, one of the Cardiff fights, I think, as far as I can remember, and he had his hands down, he was doing all his stuff, and Molina caught him, and straight away, he banged straight back up into his normal, orthodox kind of GB guard, so I feel like, like what George said, this, there's a worry that all this flashy stuff, all this head movement, that, you know, half an inch that you rely on to get yourself out of trouble, I feel like if he really needs to, and when he really needs to, he's going to be able to revert to something far safer, more textbook, and still do his job like that. I don't think it's either totally flashy or nothing. I think he's got a middle ground in there. He just hasn't had to produce it yet. Um, I can't believe we're saying that at the moment it seems that Ben is the favorite and that he's the more established and more, um, I don't know, experienced guy. But he is, I think, what is he, 17 and 0? So as a pro, he's far more experienced now. But um, I absolutely love that fight. I think the fight fight's gonna tell us a lot about it. I mean, if it happens, who, I wouldn't be surprised if that fight doesn't happen for some reason or another because if you're looking at conor ben josh kelly now being a big fight big big fight and there's not that many on the horizon like i don't know if it's the pandemic or something else but when you really scan scan around it's not like we can go oh, i want to see that i want to see that i want to see that so when you get one you've got to clutch it and you've got to nurture it and i think eddie Hearn obviously knows that it's his job and putting josh kelly in with someone like david david Avenisian now when that is on the horizon, big bend, you know, big bust up. He, I mean, who knows? They could probably make it pay-per-view knowing them, you know, with enough of the build buildup. Um, are they going to risk a fight like Avanissian? Is Adam Booth going to? Is Josh... I, don't, I can't make... I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen and then we get Conor Ben next at some point. But if he wins that fight, depending on the style he does it, you know, he could beat Conor ben I, I love the fight because I think it's a massive clash of styles and it's almost like that. The hard worker, you know, the the underdog the guy who built himself from nothing against the really sort of golden boy pedestal kid looks great style over substance I'm not saying this is what it is but that you know when you look at it the two that's what it is it's the perfect blend and uh, right now I mean I'd probably pick I don't know I'd probably pick Josh Kelly so i would probably have to go against uh, against uh the I get against the odds I reckon I reckon Connor Ben after last night is probably gonna have to be the favorite um, but it's one of those um absence makes the heart grow fonder a little bit with Josh Kelly and I honestly feel like he's so talented I think that he might have too much but like George said could he maybe gets caught in a storm and after one round two rounds he's like whoa I haven't had this never had this never ever experienced that before as a pro as an amateur that that whirlwind like Connor Ben and maybe he just gets caught up in it and he can't get going um it's a great fight but I worry about the Avanissian fight as well I don't know though Martin what would you who would you pick
0: I think you. I think at this moment in time, in what are we in November, yeah. I, I always say you have to go with what you know, and yeah. what we know is that Conor Benn is, is improving and that Josh Kelly is. And I'm not just. I, I feel like every time I agree with George, everyone's just going to say I just agree with George because yeah, it you know, he, should, he should know. <laughs> but based on what we know, I'd have to go with Conor Ben because I, I just can't be and I'm. I don't love. That flashy, well, okay. Let me let me let me explain this. I do like a flashy style and that cocky side of it, as long as you can back it up. But I feel when I've been watching Josh Kelly more recently, it's just frustrated me far more than it has entertained me. You know, it's just felt like I don't know. It just hasn't been. He just wants to do his own thing, regardless of what's what's in front of him, regardless of what he could do to, to finish a fight or to really put a statement on a on a result, he just continues to, to drop those hands and to stand in the corner and, and, There's
1: always, and I, it's always a as well, isn't it? It's always like, Well, yeah, it's fine at this level, but what's he gonna do when he boxes someone good? Like that's always what you think in the in the back of your mind. But I don't. I reckon he's got. I reckon he's got it in the locker. I mean, he's going to find out pretty swiftly if he hasn't though. And I think January is when we will. When we will find out whether he can do it or not.
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I I just think um, when you see them guys that that sort of have the flashy style and then even have the chat to back it up and they haven't put a step wrong, and you're sort of along the lines of, well, can he do that when he steps up? But with Kelly, we see him in the Ray Robinson fight where it didn't work for him. It come and stuck, and it was a very simple formula to get past that, you know? Um, so that's where, you know, I'm the same, you know? Sometimes, if you, if you go to the park and you see dads playing football with their six-year-old sons and then nagging them, and then, you know... <laughs> And then they're doing an they over-the-top celebration, they and how good they are from it, it's like, well, it was kind of expected, mate. You know, um, and it's the same when, you know, when pros first start out. Yeah, sure, you can do the flashy stuff because the guy in front of you is there to survive. He's not punching back. You know, it's when you start stepping up um, and you're in there with guys with winning records who are in there to win. Um, so, you know, I think, I think. This is this next fight for for Kelly um is an acid test like it's probably everyone around him wants to know how good he is and can he make that step up and you know I worked with Adam Booth when I first turned pro and um I told him look I want to I want to be in challenging fights and he said yeah he said otherwise you'll forget how to box you'll forget what it's like to be in a fight so he was always of the mindset um and I believed him when he said it that he wanted to push his fighters on um cuz otherwise it's detrimental to them, you know. They then they won't improve unless they're you know put in deep water from from time to time. Um, of course, when you know when when a fighter does seem like he's coming, he's you know he's come a cropper, then um, you might need to rein some thinking. But Adam Booth, he's not he, he'd happily um back his fighter, you know. There's been times when uh, you know, fighters he's had have, have had a, a not you know. A, a time, and then they're back in a huge fight straight away after. So, um, but I think with Josh Kelly now, um, they'll want to know. Like, let's not let's not waste this talent. You know, if you've got it and you're performing in the gym, let's get that transference into uh, a real fight, so you can have that proof in the pudding. You know, and then you know if he goes out and does a total job uh, and has a great uh, a great performance in January, then the tables turned again, and everyone's saying, "Is this too early for Conor Ben?" And that's kind of the mindset that you want to be putting on you know, your peers and the people around you. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a. I hope the fight comes off. Um, there are question marks, of course, because it, it hasn't happened yet. But um, it'll be interesting. I think also now that you know, after Saturday night, Conor Ben's called out Josh Kelly. Josh Kelly's gone back at him already. Um, the fight's got to happen now. It's just got to happen
1: i got a question, George, because my part of my wondering with the picking of that fight is I do think that Adam Booth is a big factor and that he will I'll come up with a game plan with someone like Conor Ben, and they'll, they'll drill something uh, and it will come off. Um, you've obviously mm-hmm. experienced that and obviously in numerous fights, but in particular the James DeGale fight where it was like, this is our game plan, this is what we're going to do, this is how we win the fight. Do you think it's a big factor, knowing what you do about Adam Booth, that he could come up with something? And they just they just do that. And it's not just like, go on, Josh Kelly, you know, show pony, go and do what you want to do. But actually, it's like, this is how we win the fight and this is what we're going to do. Do you think that that could be a factor?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, Dick, I mean, every trainer worth his money, worth his sort, will come up with a, a specific game plan. And it doesn't necessarily need to be extremely detailed. The best game plans are usually, right, you'll identify a handful of things might even only be two or three things that the guy in front of you does really well that you need to watch out for. And they could be kind of general and vague. It could be like, well, you've got to look at the right hand or the left hook. And then how do you nullify or get rid of, or just take away his left hook or his right hand. And on the, the flip side, what are you going to do? So what's going to be your two or three um points of, you know, uh, points of advantage, you know, like, so is it your foot positioning? Which way you're going to turn, are you going to move around to your left or move around to your right? Are you going to, you know, keep it at a double distance or are you going to try and sit on his chest a little bit? Are you literally going to tie up the lead hand each time he gets close and then work away with your right hand and then as he pulls away, then you spring on him? So, I mean, what also is important to always factor in um, is the fighter has got to go out there and do it. You know, the fighter has got to go out there and execute the game plan. Um, and sometimes there's a little bit too much emphasis on the, the magical trainer who's come up with the game plan when actually it's the fighter who's had to go out and perform it and, and make, you know, the millisecond adjustments throughout the fight. Um, you know, to, to get, to get the game plan off. um, you know, I've 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 had game plans with, with Adam Booth, you know, where you know he took an awful lot of credit for the for the James DeGale game plan. And it was one that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with because it was you're gonna you're gonna marginally win each round. And that took me a long time to get over. Was like if he scores no shots and you land one shot, you win the round. I was like don't sit right with me. But um I went to the gym and I spent Months and months and months. It wasn't even a 12-week camp. It was, you know, from the start of 2011, I think, until May. So five months drilling that game plan to uh to get it off. Um and we did, you know. And um likewise I've had coaches in my corner that are telling me I'm fighting Dennis Duglin and he's a Southpaw and he's a foot and a half shorter than me, but he keeps hitting me with a check right hook because I'm, the corner telling me throw out a, a double jab. It's like, <laughs> I haven't thrown double jabs since I was 12 years old. Like let's put a little bit more, a, you know, a little bit more wisdom behind it. Um, and then, you know, after three or four rounds I go, all right, well, I'm just going to do my own thing now and I'll stop him around later. So um, I think it, getting back to the point, talk about myself all the time, um, con. You will have a you know uh, a game plan for uh, of course for each fighter, but it's not necessarily going to be that easy because he's not that um, obvious, Connor kind of Ben. You know, and he does start real quick. So getting in, get into the flow of your, of your fight from the get go uh, to establish your own sort of timing and um, ring positioning and tempo that you want to um, work to. Um, will be tough against someone like Conor Ben because he's happy to start, whoosh, go, and he'll, um, he'll be aggressive on the front for throwing power shots, you know. I didn't throw a power shot for two, three rounds. You know, I like to... I, I rarely won a first round. It was usually just a, a, a nothing round because I'm feeling out the guy in front of me and you want to get your position in and the rest of it. But Ben's not like that. And that would be quite daunting for an opponent to know that, whoosh, right, we're straight in the mix uh, here. And uh, one mistake, and I could get caught real early. That's going to have an effect. Might get stopped or nothing, but buzzed, knocked off balance, offset. Could even get caught with a body shot that you know that's going to hurt. That's going to have to start paying dividend for the guy in front of you in three, four, five rounds time. You know, because he's depleting your energy. So um, it's interesting. It'll be real interesting, and I'm sure um, they've been working on a Conor Bend game plan already, you know, maybe even with the mindset of not, not taking this next fight and going straight into a Ben fight. Um that wouldn't have happened if Ben didn't win last night and now we're talking about it. But it might have been on the back of in the back in the back of um Kelly's team's mind. So um they'll be ready. They'll definitely, definitely be ready. But a long a long answer to say don't put too much um faith in the in the old trainer's game plan. It's always up to the fighter to go out and do it, There.
0: I mean, having talked about all this now, it feels criminal to have to wait six, seven months for for this fight. But as we say, in the meantime, we will hopefully have Kelly Avanetian, which in itself will will deserve and merit a a long discussion. and, And it should be a thrilling fight. We must move on to briefly talk about two heavyweight fights on Saturday night. First of all, Alan Babbage took three rounds to get rid of Tom Little. And then, in fact, let's just group let's these together. And then Fabio Wardley. Well, actually, let's not. Let's start with, with Babbage. You know, Tom Little did seem to come in in shape, but again, what, we, we didn't learn anything, did we, really?
2: Yeah. Let's, let's start off by maybe being cruel, but telling it as it is, right? Um, Tom Little came in in shape which just shows you how out of shape he must normally be. Um, And I think they said he'd lost his last four by a stoppage. Um, I mean, it wasn't chief support, but it was like co-chief support. I know this was originally a heavyweight um, pay-per-view, so they would have wanted a couple of heavyweights on the card. But Babbage, like... um, Everyone was inside at at home, but (laughs) I... I don't know. I want to pretend to be a boxing purist and I'm not quite, but I, I struggle to, to, in, to enjoy that where, you know, he just at times bum rushed Tom Little. And then in the end, it looked like Little had thought that one. That one probably landed well enough for me to not need to get up. Johnny Nelson sort of tried to jump on it and say, there's no way that, that little got sprawled the way that he made out. He did. Um, and Adam Booth answered the, the, the question very well about you know what how far can, can Babbage go, um, and his answer was something along the lines of we just don't know because we haven't seen nothing because he hasn't boxed anyone and he and he hasn't actually showed us anything that would make you think that he can compete at any any higher level. Um, I didn't really enjoy it to be honest. I thought I found it a little bit uncomfortable and. You've got Connor Ben now main event, and we've got uh, Chris Congo on Skype watching it. Why isn't Chris Congo on, on the undercard? And then we've got direct comparisons to the main event to really home and enjoy it, rather than a mismatch. You can put them fights on if you really want, but they're like the first fight on the card, bottom feeder, you know, um, a white-collar fighter against a journeyman. Um, and just watch someone get sort of tanked for a couple of rounds um, but I thought boxing was past that now We'd, we, you know, that's 15-20 years ago um, we should have moved on past that and that wouldn't happen in any other division apart from the heavyweight division so a genuine concern of mine is how far uh, are we all as the fans going to allow this to sort of happen and therefore the TV networks and the promoters to put on these heavyweight fights that sort of robbing other prospects of a slot on the card where we could watch some, some real quality boxing, some real quality boxing. Um, cause the heavyweight division doesn't have a, a depth of talent. Yeah. It's interesting at, at, at the highest level, but you can't, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of this sub tier heavyweights that are just in, um, fights cause maybe they're cheap to put on and they're heavyweights. That's not good enough. Um, to we'll see some prospects i I wish I'd, i should have sat down and wrote down uh two thousand prospects that I'd rather have seen on on the card instead, but seeing Chris Congo's face on there, who is an excellent diligent pro who um no one would have heard of outside of you know um you know the, 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 the boxing community um, might never get his chance to to break but uh, uh, you know a dedicated pro who deserves a bit of profile so um you know someone like that would have been much better for me to have seen, you know, uh, supporting a a sky, uh, a sky boxing card, you know, on a Saturday night fight night.
1: I reckon you've absolutely nailed it there because I think what we're looking at, what we're seeing here is and Eddie Hearn spoken about this openly. I heard him on a podcast the other day. And the fact is his market, the, the, the hardcore fans is a tiny little slither of his customer base and sky's customer base. And, George and us—we're part of that, and we would see that and be like, "What? Like, what is it? Like, what is this? What? Why why do we want to see this little bloke hammering away at a slightly bigger bloke for as long as he can stand up for?" But the fact is, the the casual market, the ninety-five percent other, which which represents far more income than the the hardcore, love it absolutely, lap it up, and you see—you just have to look at Twitter throughout the week. The only person anyone's talking about is Alan Babbage, really. Not even people talking about Fabio Wardley. So people love, people love Alan Babbage. And a bit like Dave, it's the same with Dave Allen, that slight effect where he wasn't, his profile, his record and his talent and his wins did not reflect the profile and the love and adulation he got from people. But it's just something about it. And the casual fans absolutely love Alan Babbage. And because of that, and I can only assume, I haven't seen his contract, but I can only assume he Is cheap because they're wheeling him out constantly. We already hear from everyone. He doesn't train. He just spar. He just wants to fight. And like, I've, you can't have a go at Alan Babbitt. He's turning up and running after people and winging at them for as long as it lasts. Um, I think we all know that he'll come unstuck at some point. As soon as someone doesn't, you know, can, can make it through a few rounds and start hitting him back because he seems to tire. But people love seeing that. And like when you, you said there about Chris Congo, no one really knows who he is. Exactly. That's the that's the that's what Eddie Hearn's thinking. That's what Sky are thinking. It's like, okay, yeah, we could put a high quality, a high quality young British fighter on here in a meaningful fight, and we can make comparisons. Got a bet, or we could sling Alan Babbitt against someone, and he's going to knock him out, and it's going to be a little clip on Twitter for the next week until he, he fights another guy. And I, like that's just what we're going to put up with. And you, you're right to say, what is the long term ramifications of that for boxing? Because for me, that ain't good. Especially at the moment when there's not that many cards. People aren't getting paid very much. What Then where, then where do we go? Where Where do we go? And, um, yeah, I mean, what What do you like? But personally, I don't like. And I think the thing is with Tom Little, he turned up in shape and light. I reckon he would have had a better chance if he was heavy. And if he'd stood there and managed to absorb a few more and maybe got a couple off, because he actually started pretty well. But... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to dwell on it, but I just feel like this is what we've got. This is what we got to put up with now, and this is this is what Sky Cards are going to be. Like, this is what cards are going to be like because they need to appeal to the wider audience. And they like we all, like they always have. People love heavyweights and they love knockouts, no matter how crude it might be.
0: But there's no there were only really five fights on Saturday night. So and it's not there's no longer a five fight limit on cards as far as I'm aware. So there's no there's no reason why you can't have both. You don't have to have you can if Alan Babich was on second or third of six or seven fights, people are still going to watch. And then I think Conor Ben has enough of a, a pool to then for people to either stick with it or to come back to it and watch the main event. And then if you want to put someone like Chris Congo on, as, as we said, as chief support, he's not that expensive. Surely that you can't do it all.
1: I think he's quite. I think he's expensive enough that he can't do it at the moment. I think that's as simple as that, and I think that's why we had a lot of women's boxing as well because clearly cheaper than their equivalent men, and yeah, I just I feel like it's what we're going to get a lot, and it were, and it's almost like it hit the jackpot with Dave Allen, and like there was that big joke about there's the Dave Allen button when a, when you got a pay per view struggling or someone put get Dave Allen on it because that's going to put so many buys on it. It's kind of get it's it's kind of like that with Alan Babich and um, you know managed by Dean White. The, the Fabio Wardley boxed Richard Lati, who, let's not forget, headline, was a headline fight against Daniel Dubois in, in non-pandemic times. I mean, there was no one there. It looked like there was a pandemic on. But that was a headliner. So that, that's the chief support here. So, like, it all gets recycled. They're all, they're all at it. And as long as people are still watching, and they're watching it more so than anything else, it's going to keep happening. And I bet you now people are talking about... We're, we're talking about Alan Babbage. But all over Twitter, once they finish talking about Conor Ben, that's what they're talking about. That's that's what the hardcore and the big wide market likes. And it's like, yet yeah, you end up sounding like a fan who moans about the band getting popular. And if that's what that's what it's like, it's like, yeah, well, I want to actually see. The, I want to see this. I want to see this guy who won the ABAs twice and he's done this and he's boxed him and he's done it. And look at his talent. Look at how he's progressing. Rather than bad bitch battering someone, like I'd rather watch that. But I think we're in the minority here.
2: I think, yeah, I think clickbait is not is not a good enough uh, excuse for people. And um, you, if if they didn't put on um, that that fight, then we wouldn't be talking about it. So it's okay. that's not an excuse. You know what I mean? If they'd put uh, a welterweight prospect on, and he'd looked good in a good fight, and and stops on in the fourth round then maybe people would be talking about him. And um, that that would be that. But for years now, we've had... I mean, since since Anthony Joshua won the Olympics, we've had heavyweights, boxing rammed down the British boxing's throat. And thank God for um, Anthony Joshua that he's got through every challenge put in front of him and went on to become a world champion. In the meantime, Tyson Fury's come back from you know, drug scandals and, you know... Everything else that he went through, yeah, and has now found popularity, and you know he's now on top, on top of the division after such a, a good win, great win against Deontay Wilder. But now there's just like uh, a clamber to try and create an industry at the heavyweight division, which there hasn't been. The Americans are not, still not fussed about it. You know they're they're, they're building slowly. It's the UK and even Europe now. You have got Salim bringing over heavyweights. But um, I mean, Her- Hergovich, um, Babic versus Hergovic was like seems absurd to me. Like Hergovich is is a genuine heavyweight, a genuine contender. Like um, maybe slightly, slowly, slowly in terms of his progression, but that usually of the Stowland, um way of doing things. They don't rush things, and they will be have to wait for a time in the market to sort of elevate him to fight for one of the world titles. But Babbage isn 't even a good a little guy who who 's got a bit of skill and can hold his own um, he He was raw and um, is that is that really where the sports going like someone who would just um, with no skill but happy to have a tear up bash up someone who 's in there to get beat um, and again, you can put that on way down the card put that on that 's the first fight of the night if that 's what you want and you say. Why is it limited to five fights? You know, why couldn't there have been one or two more meaningful fights in there that would have cropped up? As soon as the heavyweight pay-per-view's gone, right? You need a reshuffle, you spend some money, we need to get two more meaningful domestic clashes. Just where we can see a bit of skill on show. Um but you you wouldn't get this in any other sport. I think that's where that's where I struggle with. That's where it gets my goat, you know, you, you don't get this in football, you know, people pay top dollar because they want to see the very best, they want to see the Premier League, they want to see, you know, uh, La Liga, they they don't, you don't want to see mismatches in football um, and you're not really interested in, Sunday League's not not televised, like, um, maybe a bit harsh to call Babbage Sunday League, but um, there was elements of that fight that was Raw novice, it looked like a sparring session. I'd say down in the white collar gyms, it was, um, bizarre. Bizarre.
0: I think clearly, as soon as White Pavetkin was, I mean, that was basically their fight, you know, like there was this struck, struck goal to get that for a second time. Let's be honest, that wasn't part of the plan.
1: Yeah, also, got a rematch. It's worth mentioning that Babbage and Fort Wardley are both managed by Dylan White, so I can only assume that they're on the card because it's his card and he's, he's the main mm-hmm. event, and that's why we that's why that happened as well.
0: And as soon as, and both will be on the January 30th card as well. You know, Eddie yeah. said that. But they clearly, they, as soon as White Povetkin was off, they thought, oh, we've lost the only fight people were interested in. But as George said, they didn't restructure it or reshuffle it or create a better card. They just basically put the remnants out, banked on Conor Byrne and then had a bit of fun with baggage. Uh Briefly on Fabio Wadley, uh, you know, put out Richard Larty in the second round. Strange finish. He did catch him with the left hook, but the right hook definitely caught the gloves. And then Lartin was down, hung his oxygen. You know, between his ring and his recovery, that was about twice as long as the fight lasted. A bit strange, really. For a man who went... Well, uh, right. Gorman wasn't in shape, really. And, uh, but Dubois
1: took four rounds. My initial thought was that he's he swallowed it. He's he's taking a dive here. Um, I mean, I haven't been hit by Fabio Wildly, so I don't know what it's like, but... The second that right hand didn't land, it landed full on the glove. He got caught with a jab that buzzed him beforehand. So the brain is a delicate thing. So maybe that affected him. And then anything that touched him then would send him. But the way he went down, I was just a little bit, I don't know, maybe he thought, I don't fancy this. But Or maybe Fabio Woodley's that heavy-handed that he can land one right hand directly on the glove and put people to sleep for and needing oxygen. Maybe It's a bit like, remember when um, Deontay Wilder knocked out Malik Scott? Everyone said he'd taken a dive. And then you're like, well, maybe actually he just, just caught him. But it was bizarre. And it wasn't, I don't know, they're going on about this spectacular one-punch knockout and stuff. And I'm a little bit like, I was a bit, I, I yeah, it was strange. To put it that way, it was strange.
0: Tell you, one way to, to sort of uh, thin out the uh, pack of white-collar heavyweights is just to put them all in together. Just put Wardley and Babbage in. And Babbage in sorry. Uh, and, <laughs> I don't know what will happen, but one of them will be probably knocked out and then never hear them again.
2: Yeah, Martin, but <laughs> never forget heavyweights live forever. So they can fight each other, they can lose, but they ain't going anywhere. We'll still see it again. And um, unless we get some other talent being shown... In other divisions um, that's what we're going to get so you know uh, i'm fingers crossed i'm still a, i'm more than a boxing purist um i'm just a casual boxing fan i promise you. Are. and i want to see some i want to see some talent like i want to see i want to see sank outside someone being properly um matured and developed outside of the um the heavyweight division and you look at I can you know the GB team now that have just had their Olympics postponed for a year, what have they got to look forward to? Because you know, you want to win an Olympic medal, then you want to turn professional, and you're like, Well, where where do I fit in the current setup? Like, how am I who would I go with now who's gonna develop my career um and get me to the top level and make me a household name? Um because the, the previous um, <clears throat> you know, the Rio, the Rio sixteen um uh, you know, lads that came through. You've got Lawrence Okoli now is going to fight him for a world title next month. Um, but other than that, I can't think of... Um, Buatzi. So, yeah, we've got Buatzi who he headlined his show the other week, which was kind of put together last minute on a Sunday. Again, you felt like, what's going on here? Like, um, I feel like, you know, I don't know who who who's to blame, but I feel like he hasn't been... Um, developed quite as well as what he could what he could have been and then i suppose it's kelly as well isn't it josh kelly came out of that that that, that um that generation of fighters so um yeah but this next this next current crop like well, i'm gonna have to work really hard to get some profile so, I'll, tell you, yeah.
1: I'll tell you one guy who's licking his lips to be Fraser Clark because he's a big, horrible heavyweight. Uh, and he even tweeted that he'd eat these guys for breakfast. So he's in a decent spot because he's maybe the best plus 91 in the world as an amateur. Uh, he's right up there. He's going to be serious. He's, he's not coming into it young. He's going to be a serious problem at that weight because he's good. And he's going to take advantage of this thing where it's like, just stick some heavyweights on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's he's ready. He's good to go. WSB, all of that. If he gets through the Olympics, he's right in there. But for the rest of them, you're, yeah, you're thinking, wow, this is a tough path, a tough old road. But I guess it's always been it's always been thus. But the one thing about Wardley and Babbage, they ain't going to fight because they they're both managed by Dylan White, so he ain't going to do that. It's a shame.
0: True. Uh, it's just as well that uh, have the perfect antidote to what we've just talked about: George Ice, Daniel Dubois. This covering Saturday, we will preview that in part two. So it was postponed in April, postponed in July, and postponed in October. But finally, towards the end of November, we have a heavyweight fight with proper ramifications. Daniel Dubois against Joe Joyce, the young knockout artist against, well, limited professional experience, possibly, but obviously a lot of amateur experience in Joe Joyce. Really, an intriguing one. I think when this fight was first made, the odds were pretty much even. Daniel Dubois now very much odds on. George, this is you know this is a real proper fight, right?
2: Yeah, no, this is. I mean, this is this is heavyweight boxing that I can get excited about. Definitely. I mean, Daniel Dubois, you gotta say. Probably the the best. He's still a prospect. I still class him as a prospect. You know, he's early twenties twenty, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four years old. Um, probably the best prospect in world boxing at heavyweight division. Um, Joyce, just because of his age, you can say that he's you know he's not necessarily a prospect, but he is. He's still a prospect because he's yet to face for a world, world title, but he's got wins over Brian Jennings and um, Stavern. So he's been in there with guys who have been in there with the best. You know, um, and he stopped Stavern. I know Stavern. Was you know he'd been beat by Wilder then he wasn't quite the same fighter, but um, it's you know, when this fight was first made, I thought I'm gonna go with Dubois. I think Dubois is gonna be fresher, um, even though you know necessarily in, in the pro ranks there's not a lot between them, but obviously with the age and you know the accumulation of the amateur bouts that, that Joyce has had, I gonna go with Dubois, but it is a little bit tougher to pick sometimes, you know, when you think um, Joyce is he was not the sort of fighter you want to be fighting in the heavyweight division. He's just, he's strong. Um, he, he, I think he can dig a bit and he's just got a fantastic engine and he's on you. Like, he's on you to the almost um, in a sort of ignorant way, like without being too, not, not to say he's an ignorant person, but his style is ignorant. He's on, like he's happy to walk through punches at times to, to impose his physicality upon another opponent. Um, and Dubois, doesn't have the same sort of name. He's got a win over Johnson. Kevin Johnson's been there with everyone, but a prolific, um, you know, a, a loser at that point. Um, but what he does have, I think, is um, to his advantage is the Gorman win, where they were both prospects, both unbeaten. It was billed as a, not quite the 50 50, but a lot of people thought Gorman was going to be too clever for him, beat him. He's got like all these rounds under his belt from, you know, boxing, sparring together on GB and. Um, he was going to have the hidden code to beat Gorman, uh, to beat Dubois, but Dubois, um, blast him out there. And you know, for that, that might put him in a real positive mind frame. Um, real interesting fight, real, real interesting fight. It's not quite as, as black and white as I think. As Dubois's got to knock him out to, to beat him, um, and Joyce has got to, you know, swarm him and, and win the rounds and break him down. Um, even though it's very difficult to try and articulate it away from there, but I think um, I'm still going to go with Dubois if Dubois beats Joyce. But um, this could be this could be an outstanding fight to watch. Um, I'm really really looking forward to it, and it's free. the BT subscription, but um, fair play to uh, the fighters if they if you know if they're willing to take a pay cut to make this fight happen, and fair play to um, Frank Warren who. Must be losing an awful lot of money to put to put this fight on um, with no gate and no um, pay-per-view revenue to come in. Still only a British title fight, but a um, huge fight. Heavyweight division, a fantastic fight for the fans.
0: I, I was one of those people who I did think Nathan Gomer would give Daniel Dubois a lot of problems and maybe beat him. And I, I think I want to put this in now before I'm accused of copying anyone, but uh, I, I, I would back... I'm leaning towards Joe Joyce for this one, because for me, Dick, a lot of what happens on Saturday night is about Daniel Dubois. Having just said that, I think that Dubois uh, Joyce wins, and can he show something he's not had to show before? Now, if he can, then he's probably as good as we've all been saying, if not better. But again, as I say, from on what I've seen so
1: far, I don't know. So think, I'm, oh, go on. I think the pick. If you pick if you're picking Joe Joyce, you're picking on what we know already, and if you pick Daniel Dubois, you're picking on stuff that we don't know yet, but what might happen. So we know that Joe Joyce is relentless. I remember without you know, it was hilarious. But Richard Schaefer, when he first signed, when Joe Joyce first turned over and he was with David Hayes, a presser with the, the guys that he signed, and uh, Richard said that Joe Joyce is like the heavyweight Manny Pacquiao, which is hilarious, but you know what he's getting at, he throws a lot of punches. He's not he's not um Filipino and he's not uh, Southpaw, but you know throws a lot of punches, he's relentless, he's strong, he's there but the problem is he's there, he's in front of you. So Daniel and but he's he's been there. He's been there with Stiverne. not a great Stavern. He's been there with Bryant Jennings, good win. So he's he's done these things. He knocked out uh Joe Hanks in America on the Wild of Fury, the first one. So, you know, he's been there, so we know what he's about. But with Daniel Dubois, the jury's still out at this this level maybe but is it I, I was watching a thing that a little round table thing they did and it was brilliant and I loved the new Dubois by the way because he was very quiet shy couldn't get a line out as a journalist he was borderline nightmare but now he's far more open he's far more lucid and uh, Joe Joyce and his manager were like you haven't had a serious fight you know you needed to have a middle fight and Dubois didn't miss a step when you're the middle fight and it was just brilliant it's like actually yeah maybe he is maybe all along we'll look back on it and be like Joe George was just a middle fight. And it's not, it's not this big, even thing that we're seeing. Because if Dubois is as good as we think he might be, this shouldn't be a problem for him. But what happens if after four or five rounds he's tried to empty the tank to get rid of him and he's getting hit back and he's getting hit in the body and he's getting, he's got big bloke leaning all over him for ages. What does he how does he react to that? How does he respond? And I think if you're picking against Dubois, it's because you feel like We've seen enough of Joyce to know that he can do this. But if you pick him against Joyce, it's because you hope that Dubois is not, that's not a problem for him or that his power is, is big enough to get rid of an established guy like Joyce with that sort of style. My feeling is that Joyce is a little bit too hittable and he's going to be eating jabs a lot. Uh, and it's a very, very good jab He's got, I don't think he's got concussive knockout one punch power Dubois, but I think it's that cumulative thing. He goes to the body. Well, uh, And I just think he's too hittable. Joe Joyce is too hittable and he's going to soak up punishment and end up getting stopped. But this is a a hunch. It's a great fight. And yeah, like George said, endless credit to everyone involved. That It's on free, you know, or subscription TV. It's absolutely insane in this day and age that we get to say that. And it's, it's great. And I hope that people tune in um, and I hope it gets the viewing figures that it deserves. And I mean, I think if Dubois wins, it's a massive, you know, it's a huge statement. And then he goes on. And they're talking about getting a belt next, or a shot, a world title shot next fight. Might be slightly too early, but he's 23. He's 23. Like, he's 10 years away from his peak as a heavyweight. It's insane. So if he wins this fight, the sky's the limit. No, I...
2: Um... I mean... Go on, go on. No, 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 crack on, crack on. Yeah, just jump um, from your analysis deck. So... I ag- I agree with the majority of it. What I think Dubois does have though is a is that one punch, that one punch knockout. I think he has that sort of power. And I not necessarily don't think that's going to be what he's going to need to rely on for Joyce because you're right Joyce does he leaves himself exposed. He's just he's very hittable um, and especially to the body. And I feel like um a Dubois game plan will be yeah, working behind the jab. He's not so He's much more lighter and agile on his feet now, you know, since when he first turned pro, where he just looked huge and he was like, he sort of had to almost gallop into range and it almost telegraphed a lot of his shots. Now he's a lot more slicker, a lot more smoother. Um, And even if um, Joyce is trying to back him up onto the ropes, he can lean on the ropes and just throw them hook arm, bent arm shots to the body. And I think they're going to have a real effect on, on Joyce. I remember seeing Joyce in a fight, um, can't remember which fight it was, but it was in someone who we'd heard of. It might have been Steve, it might have been Jennings, and uh, I thought he got caught with a body shot, and I I could tell that it hurt, but he had to just sort of bite down the gumshoe, punch his way through it, and he got he got through that incident. and I just remember thinking, as you start going through the levels, I know that not even the top-end heavyweights ain't necessarily that experienced, and they might not necessarily see these things, but there will be heavyweights out there that will catch you with that body shot, that, that whippy sort of ones that slices you across the mid the midsection, and almost cut you in two, and you need to somehow learn how to carry on with your style of fighting where you are able to apply that pressure constantly, but without leaving so many openings to get hit back. Because you know, in amateur boxing, even in the world boxing um, (WBS), you can, you can maybe just overrule the guy in front of you by just you know, with tenacity and work rate. But over twelve rounds with a ten ounce, you know, ten ounce Fight gloves. Um, it's not going to be so easy, and I think I think Dubois will see a much clear, uh, more clinical, but a, a more smoother experience. Clever Dubois. It's going to be a fascinating fight. It's not going to be a bill uh, conclusion, but I think I think his one punch power. I think he's probably one of the hardest punches in in a division. Um, I think that's probably going to be the the, the factor that might even you know cross Joyce's mind where I can't carry on walking into range and giving away free shots. Um, or I do and roll the dice and possibly go out on my sword, um, hoping to land a big shot himself. But fascinating. Really, really exciting fight. Really, really exciting fight.
0: But sure, surely, Joe Joyce is not daft, right? He knows that down Dubois can hit uh, as, as hard as he can. So, and also look at his amateur pedigree. Look at his professional record. Look at the trainers he's worked with as a professional. So why does he get hit so easily? Because he must know it. If everyone else, everyone else says that, he must know it. So is it because he knows he can take the shots? And if it is, then either if he knows he's not going to be able to take those same shots against Daniel Dubois, will he not have some way to, to avoid it? I mean, that's easier said than done, but he's going to have a plan, right?
1: Well, I mean, he's, got, he's going to have a plan, but it's almost one of them where you are what you are. Like, that that's that's him. And you mentioned his amateur experience and stuff. Cool. Over three rounds, big gloves, head guards, which is what he was at at the time. Sweet. Uh, as a professional, hasn't been hit like that. Uh, I know what you're saying. Like, it's not like he's stupid. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go into this fight and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to have to hit, get hit. He's, he knows what he's doing. But yeah, I think he backs himself. He's got a decent chin. But I think Dubois is clever and traps. It's not I'm not saying I'm saying he's hittable. I'm not saying he's just open for endless punishment, but I just feel like I think like we I think he's a talent Dubois and that and he'll he'll set traps and he'll land big ones because it's almost one of them where just hammering away at him is not gonna work either. It's gonna have to be clever, but I think he is real clever. I think he's a, a bit of a different breed, Daniel Dubois and we mentioned Tony Sims and Connor Ben. I think the, ba- the Bowers brothers down at the Peacock have done an exceptional job with him because he had a long, extensive junior amateur. He was bouncing around gyms. but actually, he had six or seven senior bounces as an amateur. So, nothing, nothing. Uh, on GB for a bit, so sparred some of the guys. But yeah, and I feel that he's clever enough to set traps. And Joyce, yeah, he's not going to stand there and just withstand punishment. But I feel like you revert to type at one point and his type he's like a big bear and he? he walks forward and he slingshots and he, he backs his own chin. In a fight like this, I don't think he can.
0: No, fair enough. And, and, and you're right, You, you if, if Daniel, and again, it's one of those fights I think in a week's time, maybe almost whatever the result, you can kind of say, oh yeah, that was coming. And certainly if Daniel Dubois does a job on him, then I think, you, as I said, he probably will be as good if not better than we thought. Let me just run through the odds. Daniel Bois is now nine to two on, actually, with Betfair. George Joyce three to one.
1: Three to one. George, wow. Three to one. That's big. That's a big price for a fight like this. Even though I backed Dubois, I think that's I think that's a bit off.
0: It's certainly moved quite a lot. In terms of any specifics, George, in terms of how you know you see
2: the fight going. Um. Yeah. So. What's the fight? What's the, have, you got, have you got any other odds for uh, the fight <laughs> oh, not, not to go 12 rounds? Um, Dubois to get off the floor and win? Mm, um, I don't think that will happen, to be honest. But I just want Sometimes the odds just temperature, don't they? I mean, I've sat here and um, convinced myself and hopefully everyone else that Dubois is going to win. But then you hear 3 to 1 for Joyce, you're like. What do the bookies know that we don't, eh? But,
1: um, it's almost one of them where the price is so good. Even if you fancy Dubois, it's like, maybe you should have a bit of that. If it's a 50-50 fight, and it, or at least if you feel like it is, three to one is very tempting. Um, you
2: know, yeah. I think like, you could have like Dubois down on the cards. I'm not even sure if this is a bet, but down on the cards, uh, but to win by stoppage. Um, I, I don't know. No, I know. like,
1: I quite like um, the Dubois decision because, yeah, everyone thinks that it's Dubois early, or if, if someone's getting stopped, it's Joyce, and then if it goes a distance, Joyce wins. I, I could see Dubois boxing this one, boxing his way through this because I think he's a lot more cultured and schooled than people think. And Joyce, if Joyce is that super tough, which he is, I quite like a, I quite like a Dubois decision. Um, what price? What are we talking for that? Probably not great. How many?
2: Nine to two. Nine to two. That I mean, Deck, I'd, I'd back you on that bet as well because, you know, it might not be the finishing shot. But it might be a big power shot that, you yeah. know, lands on Joyce and then Joyce just decides, right, well, I'm not going to walk into them shots because that's not, it's not going to work for me. I'm going to try and box a bit longer. And, um, you know, Joyce uh, Dubois lands a few, few heavy shots throughout the round that allows him to pick up the round each round and rack up the points. And it, He's happy to see out a twelve-round victory. I um, don't know,
1: maybe. What I don't see, what I don't see is Joe Joyce winning on points. I can't. I don't see him out boxing Dubois and winning winning seven rounds. Basically, I just can't. I can't see that. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but and also with these massive fights like this, there's so much riding on it. Sometimes it can just be far cager than people will imagine. And like, although we've been told it's this big firework, oh, it's going to be over in three. It's Hagler Hearn's heavyweight. Maybe it doesn't turn out like that, but yeah, I quite—I wouldn't be surprised if it's a distance job. Um, Two tough guys and with a lot riding on it. Um, Joyce has
2: worked. Joyce has worked with a few different trainers throughout his short pro career: Um, Adam Booth, um, Salas, um, Golovkin's former Abel Sanchez, Um, but he's back with Salas, uh, who you would think—you know—an intricate. Cuban trainer who works with you know bantamweights and below and gets him to do extraordinary things. You know what's he doing with Joyce? Who you can't get him to pivot and step and do all these intricate little boxing moves. But Joyce, Joyce must think that's the way. That's the way forward for him here. Um, I can't see Salas changing his his philosophy on boxing, his coaching, Um, as in just uh, well, yeah, just just get in amongst him and just let your hands go there'll be some slick little um, subtleties and some clever moves that I'm sure you'll be drilling throughout camp. And maybe it's right. Well, we'll just let you go. But as soon as you get into this range, I want you to take, um, you know, make this move or adjust your feet like this, throw this specific shot Um, back to game plans um, deck. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's, um, he's got something that, that can do, um, and, and, and let him find a home for some big shots on Dubois and also nullify Dubois' big power shots. What do you make of the fact that he's, I
0: mean, he's had three trainers, as you mentioned, and gone back to his first one now? I mean, Joe Joyce seems to love the sun. I think that is a, a genuine factor in, in him training across in America, although I don't, I don't know if he's been able to do that for this fight. He did at the start of the year, but I'm not sure he's been able to get over.
2: What do you make of the fact that he's, he's had three trainers in such a short space of time? I think he has done his camp in London. Um I think I think he has I think um I'm not sure where whereabouts in London but I know um Steve Brown who used to work with Shane McGuigan also used to work with David Hay and then probably worked with Joyce while he was with uh, assigned to Hay's promotional company with Salas I think he's been involved and I think they've been in London. Um but yet, hopping coach to coach, I remember asking Joyce about this once and said, How comes? And he's like, Well, I went with Booth because he'd teach me how to do one punch, you know, wanted me a one punch knockout artist. And then he went to um, Salas because Salas was going to teach him how to do all these intricate boxing moves. And then I'm, I'm not sure what he said he got from, from San, uh, Abel Sanchez, but he's probably going about it wrong but feels i'm gonna go with these coaches to just add a bit more to my game you know this guy is a this specific coach and he's gonna teach me this specific skill which i can then just add to my artillery i can now now i can box you know on the back foot now i can throw one punch power shots I right, now i can do this now i can do that but maybe also these coaches they have their philosophy of training and it it might not gel with um Joyce's style or his temperament or his approach to to training um, if you're trying to get a fighter to do a specific stance or a specific punch and you know they don't want to do it consciously or unconsciously um, usually that's when you have to part ways and find someone who's more um, in line with your style um, and Salas I would say is the, the bottom of that of that list of trains he's been with in terms of how his philosophy of training, you know, uh, working with um, Jorge Linares and fighters like that to John Joe Joyce. uh, It's a bit bizarre, but um, maybe they just got great camaraderie and um, good, um, a good relationship. They can be honest with each other and he got trust. Trust is us to give him the right instruction at the right time. And he's gonna need that in this big fight, you know. Um, it's always good to have someone to just bounce off the ideas as such, you know, throughout the fight. Is this going right? Am I doing this right? What do you think of this? Um, and sometimes they're not even spoken words, they're just um, body language, and you know that the fight's going your way, or if something's not working, then you need trust in the person in the corner to give you the right instruction of how to either prevent that bad thing from happening or even better yet, to what you need to do next to solve that problem. Um, you see, I mean, I've been with Dubois since since his whole pro career, I think, even though he moved around amateur clubs. I've um, seen clips of them two in the gym together, and um, there's there's an element to their relationship, which does still seem like amateur coach with amateur fighter, where it's... it's it's more than just a pro coach who's there for purely work. It's like he's a, he's got he's there for him. He wants to take care of him. He wants to you know advise him properly throughout his you know the whole process. And um, that probably leads to to a deeper bond, a closer a closer connection, um, which might, might well, I assume is is a great thing for for Dubois.
0: Just finally, Joe Joyce cannot lose this fight. He can't afford to lose this fight, can he? He's 35. Very difficult to see where he goes after that, if that was to be the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, he can't lose this fight if he has aspirations, which he does, of world titles and stuff like that. But, I mean, he can lose it and still, you know, if Dubois is this talent and this star and, a, you know, the next heavyweight world champion and a dominant force for the next 10 years, Joe Joyce can afford to lose this fight. There's no shame in it. But right now then it's a tough road back to the top, but there's fights there for him. And like we said already, people love heavyweights. Um, they'll get him fights, they'll get him uh, they'll get him opponents, you know, there's people like Derek Chisora out there. You know, there's all sorts of fights like that he can still go. But in terms of bold heavyweight aspirations for him, I feel like this is make or break. Not so much for Daniel Dubois. He can come back. And and in reference to we spoke about earlier George's fight with De Gea, it's the same thing where it didn't matter. The loser wasn't finished, clearly. But this one, if you—if if Joe Joyce loses this one, it's a tough road back and he hasn't got time on his spider when it comes to it because we're talking about a era of heavyweights now where they're really good. Like Tyson Fury is really, really good. We um, might get a belt sharded off here and there, but it's hard to see where he goes if he loses this one. Dubois, not so much. He can re- rebuild. He could take as long as he needs to, but... It's a tough old road back for Joyce and I think he'll know that um, and that might give him something extra as well.
0: Definitely. One, very much look forward to this coming weekend. And in part three, I feel like we're kind of flip-flopping back to novelty heavyweight boxing really with uh, Mike Tyson against Roy Jones Jr. which will follow Dubois Joyce on BT Sport on Box Office. But we will have a quick look at that in part three. As we mentioned, Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. in the middle of Saturday night, middle of Sunday morning on BT Sport Pay-Per-View, which presumably is helping to offset the loss from Dubois Joyce being on regular BT subscription. We're not going to get into the ins and outs and the intricacies of two old men, essentially, 105 years old between them. But let's talk about, you know, is this something that we just... Accept is uh, is basically sums up twenty twenty. You know whether it's YouTubers or whether it's you know former legends or legends and former greats coming back. Is it just something we accept and hope that nobody gets hurt, or should we really look forward to it a little bit?
1: I'll open up. Put that to the floor. You can fire away, George. Go on. Yeah,
2: it's it's a strange one because for me, part of me is looking forward to it. I'd pay for it, you know, um, but maybe not as, maybe not as a boxing fan as such, you know, um, just as, as, a, as the exhibition, there is the, the, the novelty act, but is that just because it's Tyson and, 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 Jones? I'm not sure. Um, and for me boxing, if it's boxing, then, you know, you, you want to see a knockout, but I don't want to see either one of these men get knocked out. Um, because then it becomes real again, and it becomes boxing. So you don't really want them to just just dance about and and showboat and mess about. You want to see, you assume they're going into have a fight, even though it's an exhibition. Um, but you don't want to see either one of them them get hurt, especially Roy Jones, you know, who was a career middleweight, super middleweight, went up to heavyweight, sure, and and beat Ruiz, but then came back down and had some devastating knockouts throughout his career and it looked like his punch resistance was completely gone. Like, he, he, he was a fighter who, if there's any, ever fighters where as you, you implore them to stop, he would have been one because his punch resistance had totally gone. Seeing Danny Williams fight, um, who obviously beat Mike Tyson, um, see him fight recently out in Russia and his punch resistance is completely gone. And it's like, then it's not a fight anymore. Um, I make Tyson the favourite. He's naturally the bigger man. And even though he's been much more inactive, I think he's going to be much more fresher for for that reason. And, um, yeah, the the concerns are over Roy Jones' chin. No one wants to see um, Roy Jones get knocked out by Mike Tyson. Um, It was funny when Mike Tyson knocks out Allen in Hangover, and I was hoping that was the last time I was going to see Tyson he still got it you know um but this as much as I, as much as I'd I'd like to watch it um it doesn't necessarily mean I want to see much more of it i think it's just because it's it's Mike Tyson to be honest um he, he's he's a charismatic guy i think now especially now uh, so having him on on the screens is is cool and um but it's kind of like is this a no win situation for the for the boxing fan to be watching and are you going to be sitting on the edge of your seat hoping that it's just entertainment uh and if it is at the end and there's no real substance to it you're like well that was was that a bit pointless um the scariest thing would be does this now try and open the door for some more you know What not, but it's if it is some sort of Legends League and it is a way for ex fighters to do something, um, that's relatively safe somehow. I'm all for it. I'd much rather that than have clickbait that's two YouTubers fighting each other or pretend that two white collar fighters in the heavyweight division are real prospects. So I still, I still pick Mike Tyson to beat every heavyweight on the card from the weekend. Um, and that's, that's without, I haven't even seen the five second clip of him on the pads, um, but that'd be that. Um, so not sure. I've I got to say, I want to watch it, but I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why. And I hope I don't live to re- regret that, you know, if that makes sense. I mean, it, it is technically an exhibition over eight rounds
0: the WBC have obviously created a belt for the occasion, and they also have three former fighters who will score each round. And I think they will uh, tell tell us tell the public that it scores after each round. So in theory, there, there can be a winner and there, there can be a loser. But both men, deck like I said, it will not be an exhibition in terms of how they approach. I mean, what if you visualise it in your mind when they, when the bell rings and they come out? What do you see?
1: I don't, really, I don't really know because I don't even know, like, obviously Tyson's not a massive, like, tall heavyweight and Roy Jones obviously got sort of bigger and wider over the years, but I can't really even picture it. It does not, it does, I'm, I'm, I'm in a different camp to draw, it does nothing for me, got no interest in watching it because I'm like, I like, they've obviously spoken about, yeah, I want to win the fight because they're not going to go, yeah, it's an exhibition, so we make a few quid and we're just going to sort of pop a few jabs and have a little spa. They're not going to say that. I can't work out what it is they're trying to achieve, but I mean, if it's got them both fit and in shape and stuff, it's a bit like in the 40s when Gus Waldorf fought a bear in an officially sanctioned bout. And it's like, well, I don't want to see a bear maul a human. And I don't want to see a, a human beat up a helpless bear. Like, I don't want to see either of these things happen. So I'm like, I don't really want to see... I don't get what what the... I don't get it. And it's on pay-per-view. I'll be, I'll be, I'm going to be really interested to see who buys it and who stays up because, again, it's like... It's almost like Mike Tyson sort of lives. The pair of them are legends in the sport, but a lot of the older boxing fans who obviously absorbed all of that in the in the '90s and whatever, and, and actually had that experience with the two of them, maybe go and go. No, I don't want to see this. And then the younger guys were like, "Well, they're just two old guys. What? What about Logan Paul? Like, they don't, they don't really. I, I don't know who the market is. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how it's going to go. I really hope neither of them get hurt. That will be." so sad um, my only hope is that they've had a chat and that you know they've, they've sorted this one out between themselves and they're both going to get paid which is sweet uh, and like I always say I'd never like to have a go at someone trying to make a few quid um, so yeah I, don't, I can't even picture it I'm definitely not staying up there's no way I'm spending money on this pay-per-view I
0: <laughs> think that's pretty definitive if you do the yeah, awards...
1: are they have they gone wow. off what are the odds
0: Mike Tyson is nine to four on. Roy Jones Jr. fifteen to eight, and the draw, unsurprisingly, much shorter than normal at ten to one.
1: What's the oh the draw? I'll tell you. I'm gonna have. I'll have a bit on the draw. I'll have a little bit on the draw. No. How, no. how,
2: how many rounds is it? Eight. eight. Eight rounds. Eight rounds. Yeah. So they're not much to
1: No.
0: Is it eight twos
1: or eight threes? Uh, good question.
2: Twos. No. Either
1: no. way, I think a draw is very likely. Apparently as well, um, which is just as well for Mike Tyson, given his business at the moment, there's no, been no drug testing for marijuana. That's, that was officially in the thing. So he's managed to get it, through
0: this. It is eight twos, because I remember they said, they, they, uh, they basically said, why are you treating us like women? 12-ounce uh, gloves, eight two-minute rounds. Draw,
1: draw. Draw, draw, draw. Ten to one, yes, please. <laughs> Well
0: I mean, you've been put, you've been right on the draw plenty of times before.
1: Yeah, I love a draw.
0: Okay, let's not spend too well, no more time on that. In our final part we will reflect on the news that Canelo Alvarez will be back in the ring and he will fight Callum Smith in Christmas present for boxing fans. We waited a long time. It looked like Canelo would be out until next year, but instead having split from Golden Boy and from DAZN. He's back on DAZN. And then we will take on Callum Smith on December 19th in Texas with some fans as well. And I think we should probably give some credit to to the Mexican for, you know, fighting Canelo. He, he, there's been plenty of other options which were less than satisfactory, but Callum Smith, um, best super middleweight in the world, if, if you know, if you like us, then, well, you know, Genuine super middleweight, and uh, credit all round, really. I
1: think George. so. I think I think <laughs> I tell you what. I think it's. I don't know where, where the, the sea changes come from that idea of who's a premium opponent and who's not. But yeah, all credit to everyone involved. I. It's a great coming out of nowhere. What is what? Are we a month out or something? Not even that. Um. So yeah, wonderful opportunity for Callum Smith as well because he hasn't always sort of crossed over in America, and you know, even though he's one of the best. Arguably the best at, at the weight in the world. It's not like he's well known over there. This is a chance to go and do that. I mean, he's up against it. Um, but yeah, what a great fight to end the year on. Um, a bit of a early Christmas present. I would. Do, I promise myself I wouldn't say that, but it is.
0: And you can argue, or Canelo can argue, George, that he's already won a super middleweight title. But with all due respect to Rocky Fielding, it, it wasn't. A... You anyway, know, this will properly show us. Uh, at the level at which Canelo will operate as a super middleweight,
2: yeah, definitely. I think um, it's strange on with Canelo now because yeah, you, you try and pick up the, the best super super middleweight in the world, and you're like, well, where does Canelo fit in? But you go through his um, through his record, he has only ever boxed once as super middleweight, which was winning the belt against Rocky Fielding, which was um, the regular WBA and not the super, so not necessarily the full world title. It all depends on who you are, whether they, whether people deem it's a full world title or not. Um, and then obviously went up to light heavyweight and meet Kovalev, but there was always that that, that thought process behind the Kovalev fight was: did, did, Does Canelo just know something that like he just knows he's going to beat this guy and pick up that that belt and become a full weight world champion? And he had no intentions of staying light heavyweight. Um, he's not a light heavyweight. So he's vacated the belt and um you know before after um you know even after the 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 um, Rocky Fielding fight he's um he's back down at middleweight, isn't he? He's boxed um I think he boxed Jacobs after that fight. Um and obviously he's had the, the bouts of Golovkin at middle. So this is interesting because Smith is a huge super middleweight, you know, um a legitimate super super middleweight, campaigned his entire career at super middleweight, won a world title at super middleweight. Um, does blow hot and cold, you know. Um, he's uh, I think he does like to rise to the occasion. Um, if he thinks he's in a big fight, and this is obviously a huge fight for him, so you expect him to rise to the occasion, but with the fight being made on such late notice, um. What's his mindset like? What's his weight like at the moment? It, was this just an opportunity that was too good to turn down, or was he just totally bamboozled by the fact that he thought he was in line for a huge Canelo fight the first time, and then he thought he was in a negotiation, and then all of a sudden it was the rug was pulled from under his feet straight away. Um, why are either one of these two taking this fight? You know, you assume that um, the Canelo fight is. For everyone else, it's like the Mayweather fight. You know, you want it because you're going to earn great money on it and you think you, you back yourself to win and you think it's going to propel your career forward and to the next level. Um, they're the two reasons that Callum Smith has took this fight. But would he take one without the other, you know? Or is this just the best of the situation that, that is right now? And if he doesn't take this fight right now, um, would he get another opportunity like it? Because he spent his whole career... Um, moving along at, uh, you know, not a lightning speed. There's times where I feel like he's treaded water. He's had real subpar performances throughout his career. His big win on the way through was beating Rocky Field in one round. Um, And then he looked stale a few times since then. He beat me. (laughs) He beat me in the World Boxing Super Series. Um, So to become world champion, um, which was... You know, where I, f- I felt like he probably thought he was gonna oh, all the doors gonna open for him, and they kind of did and kind of didn't. You know, since since then, he had a uh, a good fight against um and on the undercard of uh Joshua Ruiz, one and then I thought he lost the fight against um uh John, John Ryder. You know, so again, they're saying you know he's just flat, subpar, you know, but maybe not. Maybe not. Um, maybe the win against me was flattering. <laughs> maybe I wasn't fit. Who knows? So, you do. Yeah. Um, but Canelo, again, it's like, what's Canelo been through this year? You know, what? what's on his mind? You know, why is he fighting on a month's notice? You know, he's the biggest draw in, in boxing. And does he need the money? <laughs> like, what's going on? How? What's his purse? You know, like, because if you've signed a 35 million dollar 40 million dollar a fight deal with the zone and then you're barely even into that contract and it's fell apart and you've got to go there's no one else at the table you've got to go back to the same company and get less money um for possibly a tougher fight because there's no marquee names out there for you um what's his temperament like for that you know um and this will be this will be a step up because if you exclude kovalev where i again i assume that he knew something about kovalev i know they'd done work together they'd sparred out of the sanchez gym and big bear and you know stuff like that before in the past where i felt like he knew that kovalev wasn't right for this fight and you know he he um he took that fight not long after boxing in the yard it was only literally a couple of months max um they've been out of the ring for a year now um it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, you know. I I don't think Callum Smith is good enough to compete with Alvarez, but is his height and reach and um, just each other's mind frame going into this their fitness levels will that play a dividend um, on the outcome? Um, it's kind of fascinating. It's really, it's really, really kind of fascinating. Um, you know, before before. Um, the Alvarez um, Kovalev fight. I always thought that he wouldn't really dip his toe into the super middleweight division properly. Canelo. Yeah. He'd gone up to beat Rocky Fielding who, you know, just wasn't there that night. He was a bit vacant. He got caught and, and it was over. And I thought that that would be enough for him. You know, when I was still competing, I, that would be a fight that I would have loved to have pushed for um, with Alvarez and just thought, I'm never going to get that because I'm too big for him. And he, he knows that, you know, he might have, you know, superior skill um, to the other super middleweights out there and you know he's got great hands, but he's got every shot in the book. I mean he's a class act, he's a fantastic fighter. He's a fighter who you would bring your students in to study, you know, um, because he's just some elements of his game is flawless. But giving away that height and reach and natural size against a guy who can switch it on like Callum Smith, we have seen him switch it on. But I don't know, I don't know. I think um it's really, really interesting. Really, really interesting. And it, it we'll never know. That's maybe good, maybe bad. We'll never know. We'll never know whether Smith has just decided, well, I waited my whole career for big paydays. I've got my big paydays in the world boxing super series, well, you know, which again was some tournament concept and was getting paid by, you know, foreign investment. I've never earned money in the UK, like mega money like that. And this is this is going to be mega money. And if I win this, then I might get a return or I might get a deal with independent deal with his own or someone else. Cause the kind of the big names ain't there in the super middleweight division right now, you know, and the light heavyweights where you feel Smith could go to they're tough fights, harder fights probably than the super middleweights. But again, um, the names ain't really there. So I feel like this is a, this is a an opportunity probably that he just was too good to turn down. He had he has to take it whether it's the right thing for him or not. Who knows?
0: I think Canella definitely seemed determined one way or another to fight this year. I don't know why, um, but he seemed adamant that he was going to squeeze one in. I think, of course, he was supposed to fight Billy Joe Saunders in May. I think at the time, Billy Joe Saunders simply accepted less money. If I'm right in saying, and Smith basically said, No, this is what I want, and if you don't move, they're not going to move. So maybe it's, it's not quite even, but do we look into anything? Do we look into the fact that Canelo did choose Saunders over Smith earlier this year, Tech?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, you can if you want. I think the fact that Callum Smith is a, um, maybe the number one at the weight. I mean, it's an interesting question. Maybe they thought, and I know this for a fact, that they steered Canelo away from Billy Joe Saunders for a long time because he's just too slick and it's not good. It's hard to look good against him because he's. It, they had the problem with Eraslandi Lara. And then if you look at all his opponents since then, basically, they've been guys who he can hit and who he's going to entertain with. And they're promoters. They want to entertain people. So they didn't make any secret of that fact. So maybe that was it. And they just thought. I could catch up with Callum Smith. He's going to be there for me and I can hit him. Um, And with Saunders, I'm going to be frustrated all night and this is a better style for me. So maybe it's that. Um, I'm with George. I I am surprised why he's he's done this, why he's decided to do it. I guess he's going to get paid an awful lot of money. And maybe there's something in the contract that said that if we approve an opponent, you have to take the fight because it's been a long year and he's been out of the ring and he's got this big contract. So maybe it's something contractual. But... um, it's great for us as British fans because I thought we were going to not see the the Callum Smith fight, or maybe even not see the Billy Joe Saunders fight, and he'd move on and do something else. So, for me, this is the one fight that I want to see him in, because he's a proper legitimate super middleweight in his prime, world champion. Um, I think it's going to be a great fight. I can't I can't pick it yet. I don't know what I can't really see. It's hard to know how Callum Smith wins the fight, but is, is he like you've you've seen Canelo win these sorts of fights before? But is Callum Smith too big? Is he going to be too big, too powerful? What's he going to happen when he gets hit by someone like that? We saw him get hit by Golovkin and he took it. So, is Callum, you know, can Callum Smith do something better than Golovkin? Has the year of litigation and moaning and arguing and infighting with his promoters and stuff taken out of him? Is, it, is his mindset right? Is Callum Smith absolutely going to go out there like, uh, like this is his one chance, his one and only chance? Or is he like as the pandemic taken out of him as well in this time off? It's a fascinating fight, and I do love a Christmas. I do love a December fight. Um, is it on? It's on DAZN over here, right? So it's like the big. They're going to be their big, big one after the Garcia Campbell fight throughout fell out. So that's another big thing. And is that is it true? That's one ninety nine a month for UK fans.
0: Yeah, I mean I, it is. But I can't. That's surely an introductory offer.
1: Yeah. But
0: it, that fight will cost you, if in the UK, one ninety nine.
1: So that's amazing. I <laughs> believe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they're going to call it Christmas cracker as well. I've heard.
1: You know, well, it's better than it's better than seasoned beatings.
0: Mm. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that. <laughs> anyway, obviously, in in a month's time or so, we'll have a full preview of that. Plenty of times. Come, Canelo is currently the 92 on favorite. Smith two to one draw 22 to one. Are the odds. Well, it's been a long show, but I feel a very thorough and worthwhile one. Not not always worthwhile, but we've really got Mm. into a few topics this week. Thank you, Declan. Thank you, George. We'll be back next weekend to look back on Dubois-Joyce. And then to look ahead to the following weekend, which will be Anthony Yard's return, no Tyson Fury. That card goes ahead. Anyway, please do, if you're watching, uh, give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel if you're listening. Do rate and review. Thank you for joining, and we'll see you next week.